0: Avinu our Father, our King, Lord, we bless your name tonight. We thank you for uh, your Spirit's presence and drawing us together as a community. Uh, people gathered around your name, people uh, excited about your kingdom, Father, people who are in love with your Son, Yeshua. We thank you for the uh, the leadership training school and the opportunity that it provides for us to, to be shaped and to grow and to be challenged and to... Um, to be put in a place where we can be used by you better, more efficiently. We ask, Father, that you will touch each and every person who's in the class, including the teacher, um, grow us up, cause us to... um Learn more and more about you so that we are effective witnesses in this world. In fact, uh, the time is needed for stronger and more efficient teachers. And so we desire to be uh, those types of people, people of holiness. Cause all men to be drawn to yourself and may your kingdom receive the uh, the glory for this. So we thank you, Father, in Yeshua's name, all that's taking place. Amen. Amen. right. Welcome to another class of Exegeting Galatians. Last week was just a um, uh, what should we say orientation, but I did hand out a paper for those of you who are taking LTS. And what I need to do also is two, four, six, eight, ten. I have more than more than the people here. Take one of these and pass it down. What I need to know on the paper. Let me keep one for a second. What I need to know on the paper, or at least the uh, the other um, leaders here need to know, is who's taking the class for credit. That is to say, who has paid. That way I also know who to give homework to and who to expect homework from. Versus you can audit the class and don't have to do any homework, unless you want to, but you won't get it graded on it. Um, I might make comments on the, on your homework, but but if you go through all the trouble to write out a paper, I will read through it and make comments, but it, you won't get a grade, per se. Um, also, if you are enrolled in the class, generally speaking, that puts you in a position to receive the handouts right away. The handouts that we produce are not free. Um, I try to there's, – there's a chair up here if you want to – I try to help the Harvest with their handouts as well. I have a laser printer at my house, um, and the Harvest has a printer here, and printing's not free. So anything, the $25 that you pay for to enroll in the class helps to go to alleviate part of that. They're not just paying me to stand up here and teach, although that's part of it, but that's not in my opinion. I just turn around and use the money for – for you guys. So when you guys pay and, and put money into it, you're saying that I'm enrolled in the class and that I want to get credit for it and that um, uh, I want to receive the handouts. And that's what the that's what enrolling in there too. So if you check off the one that simply says I'm auditing the class, I desire to audit but no fee, I understand that. I'm going to make sure you to the best of my ability that you get a handout either way. It simply means that you don't have to pay and I don't have a problem with that. That's a little confusing to some. Bottom line is, if you're taking a class for LTS credit, you do need to pay for it, and you'll work that out with one of the one of the uh, um, one of the other people on staff as to how that payment works. My point is that I like handing handouts, and so again, if you can help there, you don't have to pay the full twenty-five, but a little bit here and there, and I can buy a new cartridge for my laser printer, and boom, I'm printing out the stuff. For instance, everybody's getting a handout tonight, whether you paid or not. A twenty-page handout tonight, whether you paid or not. I made. 20 pages of, of 20 versions of the handout so that's how that works any questions there i don't want to we don't want to burden anyone and say you know you better pay or you're not gonna be able to participate all right let's just jump right into it i handed a, I, I gave a handout last week that um introduced the topic of exegeting galatians and all i gave on there was um uh, an introduction to the class, as well as a, a rough syllabus, if you remember. Who didn't get a handout last week? Or who wasn't here? Okay. I don't... If I had an assistant, maybe I could actually go make some. But otherwise, just listen along. Or you can... For the Generally speaking... There he is. There's my assistant. Generally speaking, you should be able to go online and print out what I'm giving to you. There we are. Uh, oops. How many said they didn't get them? I guess about... Make about, make about 10, I suppose. Did you hand it out at the very beginning of the class? I don't remember if it was at the beginning, in the middle, or then. I try to do it at the beginning, and so, about 10. What we're going to do is we open up into a study of Galatians. Oh, by the way, i got good news. Originally, this class was billed as a 14-week course with more or less, the classes are about an hour long. They start at 7.20, they end at eight, 8.10, something like that. So about, about, about an hour. So that only gave me 14 hours to do six Chapters of Galatians with a lot of some of the materials really heavy going, I complained and I got some <laughs> i got some uh, I got some uh, grace they 've allowed me to break it up into two parts, so now it 's twenty eight weeks long, so we will go i 'm not going to break it up into three chapters and three chapters though of Galatians because like for instance chapter one there 's only one verse I need to comment on the rest of it, no matter what version you 're reading, it works more or less um, so instead of breaking it up like that we 're just going to still go until we reach run out of the 14 weeks and then we pick up the other one i'll back up a little bit get a running start and we'll finish the rest so if you want to hear the whole story you'll have to take both of them that doesn't mean you have to pay twice by the way (laughs) pay once that's how it works it's two, just like any college course it's it's, uh, fall semester spring semester you pay once that make sense great so now i can slow down a little bit i don't have to talk 100 miles an hour all right so what we're going to talk about today is um we have to get a running start into Galatians by doing a few things. We have to do a background check of sorts. I think it's safe to say that Paul was um, to our observant to be sure we have to look at the book of Galatians and ask ourselves who wrote it why did he write it or that is to say, what occasion him to write it? who were his intended audiences how did they how were they impacted or influenced by the material? Um, this headset is really uncomfortable It's square you see that right I'm like. Well, who was the person that put? The, what are they thinking? SpongeBob SquarePants was going to buy this thing? Look at that thing! Is <laughs> that a Bart Simpson? Right? They both have square heads. <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry. I just it's just digging into my ear, so you'll have to. If I'm wincing in pain, you'll know why. Um, who wrote the book? Why did he write it? What what caused him to write it? Obviously, we know the spirit told him to write the letter, but. There was a real life situation that was taking place in Galatia, in the congregation. And what caused, what was going on there that Paul was addressing. Um, I gave you in the handout uh, a little background, uh, oops I didn't give him that. <laughs> I'll get it to you later. Uh, like an overview, a general outline of the, of the letter itself. Galatians itself um, presumes that we know the situation, because Paul comes, simply steps in and starts answering questions. He doesn't really kind of come in and say, here's what's going on, so we need to address this. Of sorts, he doesn't do that. What we have to do is we have to do our, our homework and dig out, and try and figure out what the historical background is behind the letter. In doing so, it's helpful to know who wrote it and, and what his background is. For instance, it's no small secret that in the in the Christian tradition, the book of Galatians is viewed as Paul's answer to this question, okay, I'm going to, I use air quotes, meaning here's the supposed question. The ostensible question is this: I'm I'm Jewish. How much Torah should we should we ask the Gentiles to keep? Something like that. What what should we, what should we place in their lap by way of covenant members? And how much Torah should we give to them? And in that question, Paul answers kind of just more or less. I mean, he draws it out in six chapters, but he could have said it in one verse. The law is done away with. We're under grace. That's about as much tour as you need to keep. In other words, that much. That's generally. I'm I'm using generalizations. That's generally how Galatians is viewed. Is our liberty and Messiah. In fact, let me read for you a um, a list. Like if you were to go to like say a Christian bookstore. Um. Let's see. Where is it? If you go to a general uh, like a Christian bookstore and look on their section of Galatia. Um, here's what you'll end up reading about. Let's see if I can find it here. Here we are. The prevailing view of Christian commentators, th- their view may be represented by many popular titles on the book of Galatians. Listen to this. I'm not trying to slam any author or their or their commentaries. I think there's some helpful information in all of them. I'm simply trying to say that it, it bespeaks of their worldview when, or their, their hermeneutic as to how the book is read when we listen to their titles, Okay. Galatians, the character of Christian liberty by Tenney. Free from bondage, God's way by K. Arthur. Galatians, Paul's character of Christian freedom by Morris. Galatians, epistle of Christian liberty by Brooks. Free to love, Paul's defense of Christian liberty in Galatians by Buckle. Galatians, a new kind of freedom by Summers. Free from the law to be led by the Spirit by Wilder. The list goes on and on. You get the idea. In other words... In doing our who, what, when, where, why, when it comes to Galatians, the current prevailing theology of our day is that Galatians is addressing the need of, from a Jewish point of view, asking the Gentiles, "It's okay if I use you guys as Gentiles in my little." Okay. <laughs> um, how much Torah should we give them? In other words, Galatians is kind of like a comp- it's kind of like a long drawn out view of Acts chapter 15 compacted. If you're familiar with Acts 15, it's the Jerusalem Council. And it seems to be, from Christian commentators' point of view, that they had the same questions. I'll give them that that credit. They are right. It is the same issue. But the issue, from their point of view, seems to be, how much Torah should we give to the Gentiles? Um, And the answer, decided by the Jerusalem leadership of that day, is... We'll give him these four in Acts chapter 15, but in Paul's letter, he basically just comes out and says, you know, we're not in wonder grace, just, just don't worry about it. Just move on in Messiah, and you'll be okay. That's generally the answer. So that we don't need to go through the Torah figuring out which parts we need to keep and which parts we don't. Obviously, all of the ceremonials thrown out, the moral parts we'll keep, we divide it into those sections. How many of you are familiar with the viewpoints I'm discussing? Most of you? Okay. As we study Galatians, we're gonna, to, in order to be fair to the text, we're going to find out that that's probably not the best view. Although, theologically, it doesn't have that too many um, uh, faults. With, that is to say, if a Jewish person in Paul's day were thinking that if they kept the Torah, I don't care how much they think they keep, if they think to themselves, if I keep the Torah, I'll be saved, I'm using church parlance, but I'll be saved, if that's their mindset, and Paul's coming along and saying, no, that's legalism, you need to come out from under that, you need to accept Christ, the theology of that is actually accurate, right? You can't keep the Torah to be saved, and you do need to have play. That is true. The problem is, that's the wrong argument, as in my opinion. And we're going to exegete Galatians to see if we can figure out if that's the argument or if there's something else going on. But before we can get started in Galatians, we have to back up and ask ourselves a question regarding one of the main elements of Galatians, and that is the issue of circumcision. So, we're going to talk about circumcision tonight. Um, who? Everybody has your hand out from last week? Okay. Circumcision itself, and I'm, I'm now I don't have it in front of me. Uh, it's coming, it's moving, yeah. Um, circumcision itself is referred to by Judaism, and it's correctly, as Brit Milat. It's a Hebrew word made up of two words, Hebrew term. Brit means covenant, or or contract, and milah simply means circumcision, or or if we could loosely translate it that, cutting of the flesh. So the, cir- the uh, covenant of the cutting of the flesh is what we're talking about. God says to Abraham, I want in Genesis chapter 17, I'm going to give you a command. I'm going to ask you to circumcise both yourself and the males in your household. In doing so, you will demonstrate that you are covenant members. I want you to do this for all your succeeding generations. Therefore, circumcision becomes the sign of covenant participation. Thank you very much. Who needs one? Raise your hand and Ryan will help you out. And He made ten of them. So, I'll wait till he hands those out real quick. Because I want to read some of this. I want it to go up on, online as me reading part of this. After everything's put online we'll show you those of you with internet access how to access these things how to get get a hold of them everyone get one basically great I'll take one all right okay let's turn to page two the first page is just the uh, syllabus so you can see what tap what topics we're going to talk about there. On the very top of page two, Law, we have a quote from Genesis chapter twelve, where God tells Avram, he's noticed his name isn't changed to Abraham yet, he's still Abram. You know, get out of your country, get away from your people, I'm gonna make your name great, I'm gonna make a promise to you. It's a promise of multiplicity. I'm gonna bless you, I'm gonna give children to you, I'm gonna give you an inheritance of sorts, I'll give you a land. And notice in that um, in that promise that God gives Abraham, it's couched in the language of a universe or unilateral. Uh, type covenant that is to say god's not saying to abraham if you do this if you do this if you do this and if you do this if you jump through these hoops then you then i'll do all these things for you more or less god just says get out it's like you come over here i want to bless you more or less like god's already where he needs to be and he calls abraham come over here once and i'm going to bless you once you get here so all abraham has to do more or less first of all is just get away and get out get to a place where god can bless him Alright, the opening monologue from God, containing both directives and promises, is packed with some very important facts that affect everybody. In my opinion, they do affect everybody. Um, I'm not reading verbatim from my paper, but since I wrote it, you can read it there. But I'll read a lot of it for these people. Later on in Genesis chapter 17, we find God instructing Abraham um, concerning circumcision. Amazing that God would select that Part of the body to demonstrate a most wonderful spiritual truth to both Avram and to, his entire, uh, and to the entire world. We'll figure out in the weeks to come why he chose that body part. In other words, that's the next one, the ouch factor. Why the male reproductive organ? You know, he could have told him to snip his ear or something like that. Why did he have to go there? All the men are saying. Why did he go there? And you women are going, whew. "Yeah." So, But we'll find out why he went there. Um, so um, what ends up happening is that Abraham doesn't seem to question God in regards to this. Um, he doesn't put up a lot of ex- excuses. He simply steps into the commandment, um, as odd as it sounds and as painful as it might be. Paul seems to pick up on this in um, in his letters. And in, and what, and what we, we find is that Paul makes no small mention of the Genesis 15 account, where God says, um, I'm going to uh, call you out and make promises to you. And so let's look at that quote there right in the middle of the page. This is Paul speaking. For what does the Tanakh say? Abraham put his trust in God, and it was credited to his account as righteousness. So we have Paul right away setting up Abraham as the model of our faith. And, he, and Abraham's going to become a key factor in studying Galatians. We have to understand how Paul sees Galatians as we're studying uh, Galatians. Or I'm sorry, how Paul sees Abraham when we're studying Galatians. In fact, given its location within Paul's arguments, both from Romans and Galatians, it's clear that the phrase um, credited to his account as righteousness... Um, is referring to imputed righteousness, that is, positional, or to use church parlance, forensic or um, justification. Um, Right standing with God. For Paul, it is axiomatic that Moshe describes this quality chronologically before Avraham receives the covenant of circumcision in Breshit chapter 17, which is Genesis. And in my opinion, this speaks of the correct order in which to appropriate the covenant responsibilities of God. On the micro... Saving faith in God symbolized God accrediting his counter as righteous, and the Hebrew word is tzedakah, the Hebrew word for righteous. This, this, um, where God says to Moshe, you're, or says to Abraham, you're righteous. This precedes Abraham's obedience to the sign of circumcision. On the macro, the covenant of Abraham precedes the covenant with Moshe. So more or less, as the narrative is being played out, and Paul's aware of this as he's building his argument against or for the people in Galatians. Remember, in, in Galatians, he's both speaking, he's both addressing the problem, that is, the, his readers, as well as knowing that the troublemakers are in the midst. So he's speaking to them, and he's speaking to his flock. He's going to try and hit both. And so, he's going to launch from Abraham and and the understanding of circumcision to drive his point home. So we have to back up and look at that. So, what I, what I simply meant by that is, in the narrative of Genesis, God says to Abraham in Genesis 15, um, I'll paraphrase, more or less, um, look at the stars, look at the sands of the sea. That's how you, That's how, what your seed's going to be like, Abraham. I'm, I made a promise to you way back in Genesis 12, and now in 15 I'm restating that promise to you, Abraham. I'm going to be faithful to you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to multiply you. And for and we know that at that point in time that the Holy Spirit allowed Moses or caused Moses to write this phrase. Um, it was credited to his account as righteous. Because in the Genesis 12 account... Um, at that point in time, it seems, I'm not saying that Abraham's faith was birthed in him, but something happened to the point that Moses said, and it was credited to him as righteous. We don't have that statement written of, of Abraham in Genesis 12, 13, and 14, but in 15 we find it. So it's almost like something's being highlighted. And, and Paul's picking up on it, and we have to pick up on it too. The bottom line is, if I can use church parlance, in Genesis 15, Abraham gets saved. That's church parlance, okay? And that's not too far from the fact. But more or less, that's what it means, I credit your account as righteous. Germain to our study is that that's what's described of him. And then in chapter 17, he receives circumcision. That is to say, he's saved before he's circumcised. That becomes a very important point for us to understand. Paul, did you have a question? Um, Hebrew, is that Sadako? Um, Sadako or tzedakah? It's like, um, charity. charity. <laughs> yeah. Some Hebrew words have different nuances than tzedakah, charity. uh, Just like uh, mitzvah means both good deed and commandment. Hebrew, yeah. Tzedakah. That's it. That's the word. Tzedakah or tzedakah. Alright. So, thinking from a 21st century Western mindset, one might presume that since God declared him righteous already, in Genesis 15, any added covenantal sign might prove to be superfluous. Avraham, and apparently God, thought otherwise. To neglect circumcision... On Abraham's part, is to neglect the chosen sign of the covenant, and consequently, it is rejected of the covenant itself. Here's what I mean. In Near Eastern covenants, um, they usually involved two parties, and was usually a sign of the covenant. Something that you carry on your person, like a small stone or something like that. A token of the covenant. To reject the token is to say, I'm rejecting the covenant. And in Near Eastern um, practices, if you were caught without the token on you, is, it's tantamount to saying, I, Well, I'm not part of that covenant. The same kind of view is in, it, it, or the same kind of logic is in view behind the wedding ring and the wedding itself. You know, you guys, you go out of town, you're, you are married guys, you go out of town, and, you know, the wife's away, so you're going to go hit the bar or the nightclub, and you take your wedding ring off. What's going on there? There's, there's something happening, right? It doesn't say you're not married when you take the ring off. Or does it say you're not married? You know what I mean? It sends a signal to the rest of the world. Hey, what's going on here? So there's, it's, it's the sign of the covenant. And in, and in a small way, it's rejection of the covenant to take your wedding ring off or to hide the wedding ring or something like that. It's like you don't want everyone else to know you're married. Okay. That's kind of what's going on with God and circumcision. He says, Abraham, this is the sign of the covenant. The covenant that I made with you. That's unilateral, by the way. I'll explain all those terms in a moment. I'm making a covenant with you, and now I want to give you a sign of the covenant. I want you and your males to carry the sign with you in perpetuity. I don't want you to stop doing this. So to reject the sign is like saying to God, you know, I don't care about your covenant. So that's what I mean by to reject the sign is to reject the covenant. Although some people would try and get away and say, no, I'm not rejecting the covenant, but I just don't want to circumcise myself. It doesn't make any sense. It's like the question when people ask of Christians. If you were, are you saved by baptism? Does baptism save you? Some would say yes, some would say no. I would, I, I'm I, of the camp that says no, baptism doesn't save you. But if you're genuinely saved, and it's possible to be baptized, why wouldn't you want to be? Does that make sense? I think that's the real issue. So, you know someone who's a genuine Christian, and they've never been baptized? Does that kind of feel weird, something wrong with that picture? Yeah. Why wouldn't you want to be baptized? It's a sign of your... Dying with the Messiah and being resurrected with him. So you take on the sign as proof of your involvement and identification with him. Same with circumcision. Except it becomes a little more than that. So let's keep reading. Avraham did not hesitate to, to both circumcise himself and all the males of his household. That includes uh, slaves that he had brought with him or purchased. Any male of his household. it was a, It was a beginning of a clan, you could say, in a good way. Looking forward at its, effect, at its effect in the biblical narratives, we learn that it was to become a unique marker outwardly identifying those males of the offspring of Abraham as inheritors of the magnificent promises that Hashem was making with this man. In other words, every male after that who, who took on circumcision was more or less saying to Hashem, I like Abraham am part of the covenant. I'm included in in this covenant with Abraham. More or less, they're saying to God, Hey, you made a promise to Abraham, and I'm in on it. And here's the proof. Of course, eight-day-old baby boys don't choose to become covenant members. Isn't that neat? Who circumcises the babies? The parents, the father and the mother. So it's incumbent upon the parents to pass that that promise down. I imagine that they probably circumcised their baby at eight, eight days old. And then as the baby boy grew... And going towards what we call maturity, or towards the point of um, accountability, they're probably teaching this baby about the promises. I mean, if I were Abraham, I'm I'm talking to Isaac. You know, I, I got to tell you about. The first time when God called me, what that was like. This invisible God who called me out, told me to leave my fellow countrymen, my family, and come to a place. And, and, it, and the trials that I went through and all the tests and, 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 and you know this and that. And so what Abraham is doing is he's imparting to Isaac, his, his firstborn. Because Isaac's already circumcised at eight days, right? He's imparting all this truth to Isaac, so that when Isaac reaches the age of accountability, which we kind of affectionately say 12, 13, something like that. Let's just use round numbers and say it's 13. Then Isaac can decide for himself if he wants to be a covenant member as well, within the heart. He's already got the outward sign, but now he's going to put the two together. He's going to put the outward and the inward together so that he becomes also a genuine covenant member or a lasting covenant member. You could say he's on borrowed time while he's not come to a decision mode yet. He's under the care of his parents. It's a metaphor that Paul is going to pick up on later on in in Galatians. But suffice it to say, I think that's where, that's part of what's supposed to have happened in those settings is the parents are supposed to give that. Now, is that any different than what what we should have today? You parents who believe in Yeshua and affirm Yeshua, shouldn't you be giving that to your children? Shouldn't you be passing that heritage down to them so that when the time comes for them to make the decision on their own that they can make the proper decisions? Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's what's happening. It did not, nor does it now, serve to secure those promises through personal effort. Simply being circumcised didn't guarantee that one was a lasting covenant member. Because at 13 or 14, Isaac could have said, You know what? Mom, Pop, see ya. I'm out of here. I don't have anything to do with you guys. What a heartbreak that would have been for Abraham. But it would have been a reflection of his not imparting that to his son train up a child in the way you should go I think it is our responsibility as parents to give that to our children so that they have um, so that they can make informed decisions and part of the rebellion that we have rampant in the world or at least in America or in churches I should say is that parents don't care what their children are growing up on they just they're not giving them the, the, the heritage of Abraham they're just feeding them the world and that's how they turn out when it comes time to choose they they're just out of there you guys know what I'm talking about there Yeah, that's a shame. So, um, what is more, the sign of circumcision was to be an indicator that all subsequent male covenant participants were adopting the same faith that Avraham possessed. That's the point. The males are basically, I mean, at eight days old, do they have a choice? Do they say, no, 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 don't do this to me? (laughs) What a shock that would be if your kids, uh, no, the parents are kind of saying, you know what? we're giving this to our children and to our to specifically specifically to the men to the males obviously it was incumbent upon the faithful father to pass this sign on to his eight onto a son as i note eight day old baby boys do not circumcise themselves the promises were by, of faith and we can read romans 4 and you'll see that to be 100% sure the torah says that the promises were given to him abraham before he was circumcised that's going to be one of paul's main points and we're going to we're going to we're going to camp out on that for a while, too. This is why, after Hashem promised that his seed would be as numerous as the stars, and, and there's your reference, chapter 15, verse 5 and 6, Avraham was credited with being righteous because he believed the unbelievable. Remember, God's telling them, Hey, Abraham, you're going to have a lot of kids. And he's like, "Um, time out. I don't even have one yet. What's going on? And God knew that. And Abraham wasn't perfect. But something happened in Abraham's heart enough for God to look in and see that and, and to cause uh, Moshe to write that it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, the implied meaning behind the term Brit Milah, again, as I mentioned, is covenant of circumcision. Why does Judaism refer to circumcision as a covenant? I believe that this act betrays the Torah's intentions to speak to the circumcised male about his responsibilities in helping to bring about the truth that Hashem and Hashem alone can bring the previously mentioned promises of Abraham to come to pass. Let's examine the details. Um, let me get my Bible here. We'll go look at some verses. What? Did I say... What Betrays, yeah. I'm just using poetic language. It portrays. You can say portrays, but betrays is what I mean. Portrays, it's speaks. Um, so with this background on circumcision just a little bit and and for next week just so you know we're going to take a break we're not going to do Galatians this coming weekend is Yom Terah so I've got a commentary on Yom Terah for us to look at instead we're going to take a break from Galatians for one week so when we come back Actually, when we come back Monday, we'll still talk about uh, Galatians a little bit. But for the most part, I want to ask, how was your yom throughout? We'll talk about that for a little bit, okay? But for this, for the moment, as we look at our study on Galatians, um, Paul is aware of what we just read. He's read the story of Abraham. He knows the players. He knows the details. It is in that setting that he approaches the... the, uh, the um, He sits down to write Galatians and address the issue. So, briefly... when does this class end? Eight what... Is that right? Do I have 10 minutes left? Mark starts at 8.10, is that right? I'm just, I'm like amazed. 8.05? Sure, can we turn this clock back? (laughs) All right. Um, How many of you plan on staying the course of this class? Let me see your hand. Great, okay. Um, I want to throw out for you in 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 a because I don't want you to think that I'm forcing the fit, but I want to throw out to you what I what I believe is happening in Galatians, and then and then as we study, it, you can tell me if it fits or if uh, if I'm forcing the fit. Okay. Here's what I think is happening in Galatians. I'll see if I can get it in ten minutes. More or less, what we have is a group of people. Like, let's say I'm going to use the example. I'm Paul, and you guys are the Galatians community. I come and visit you all. When I come and visit you all, you're comprised of a mixed crowd. You've got Jews and Gentiles. I'm using the term Jews. Pretty loosely meaning non-Gentile. That is to say, Jews look at those who are not Jews and go, you're Gentiles. Just in that limited scope. And those who are Gentiles who don't know if they have any traceable lineage to Judah or Abraham or any of that, they simply call themselves Gentiles. Or if they're Roman citizens or Greeks or things like that. General terms. Is that safe? Can I use that for now? We're not going to get into trouble on who's a Jew for now. Although we, t- we can talk about that later on. But generally speaking, we've got Jews and Gentiles. Just generally speaking. Paul comes in, and he preaches the gospel to them. It is, in fact, the genuine gospel of Yeshua. Salvation by faith through grace, things like that. By grace through faith. Um, And the response is great. We have Jew and Gentile both responding to the gospel message. And then, and then Paul, like any any shaliach, a sent one, an apostle. He's got to move on, so he leaves the congregation under the care of some, some pastors or whomever he's put in charge, some leaders, and he moves on. And so these people are kind of growing in their knowledge of Yeshua. This is really great, and they're kind of their, and, the, and kind of their innocence. They're just they're, they're, they're just realizing, you know, let's just say that this side of the room is Jewish and this side's Gentile, and all of a sudden for the first time, you guys are kind of looking across the alley, each other, going, "Wow, we're brothers and sisters in Messiah." In other words, the truth is sinking in. They're just like, wow, this is great. The spirit is working in them, and there's, they're starting to get along. And this—I mean, it's just isn't that the way it should be. Everybody just loves one another, right? Um, I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to be facetious. That, that's that's the way it should work. They're they're getting along. But then, what we seem to have is a group of people either is either grows up out of the congregation, or maybe they've, they they come in from the outside. Either or works. Maybe a little bit of both. This group of people, we're going to label, according to the church, we're going to label them Judaizers. I don't like that term though, it's pejorative. I'm going to use the term influencers. That's the term I'm going to adopt in my writings, influencers. They're trying to influence the crowd. Here's what they say This group of people are either native born Jews or they're proselytes. They came to Judaism, and from a Jewish point of view, they weren't born Jewish, but they came into Judaism through the proselyte conversion. And in that um, conversion or in their status as Jews, they don't really feel that Gentiles are full fledged covenant members because they're not Jewish. The very fact that they 're not Jewish discounts them from being covenant members. Why they draw their theology out of many chapters or many texts in the in the passage, but suffice to say they just don't think that Gentiles should be full fledged covenant members so they 're going to come in and they 're going to try and persuade. The, the existing Jewish members to stand behind them and in getting these Gentiles to come over or come out of the closet or cross over you know what I mean if we can get all you guys to just become jewish then we 're all on the same sheet of music the influencers are going to say all right that I believe is going to be the, one of the backgrounds that 's going to be some of the initial problems that paul 's going to have to st- step in and address with Galatians all right keep in mind that i 'm working from a differentiation from the normal view of Galatians. The normal view of Galatians from Christian commentators. And I guess we pick on Christian commentators because rabbis aren't writing a lot of commentaries on Galatians. <laughs> um, it's true. It's sad, but true. But all right, but many Christians are, because it's right in their Bible, right? So most Christians are looking at Galatians going, gosh, what the influencers are doing, the Judaizers, is they're telling all you people, you guys believe in Jesus, that's great, but you guys, you're going to make a mess there. <laughs> you guys don't believe in... Here. You guys believe in Jesus, that's great, but you guys aren't keeping Torah. That's the problem. The problem is you guys aren't Torah keepers. Paul's telling you that you're free and Messiah, you don't have to keep Sabbath and all that other stuff. But we're not, no, that's wrong. We need to keep Torah, we need to keep Sabbath, need to get circumcised, all your males need to get circumcised, need to keep kosher, need to keep the other feasts. that's what you guys need to do. And so we're going to pull you over into the law. And so Paul's going to step in and go, what are they trying to do? Put you back under the law. That's bondage. Get away from all that. So Paul's going to fight for you guys. Freedom from the Torah. And he's going to try to explain to you Jews that the Torah's done away with. Get over it. It's done. It's an old era. It's dispensation. It's gone. That's the traditional view. I'm, I'm not going to work with that view. It has manifold problems. Especially since Paul was a Torah keeper all his life. Does, does the word hypocrisy jump out at you if that's the case? So I'm going to work from the view that the Jews are telling the Gentiles, you guys, you believe in Jesus, that's great, so do we. But we're Jews, and you're not. So we're full-fledged covenant members, and you guys are just kind of like covenant member wannabes. You're, you're covenant members, but you're not full covenant members. You don't have the whole thing yet. That's great, you got Jesus, but you're still lacking something else. You haven't reached the goal yet. You have to convert. And in conversion, then God will bless you fully, because only then will you be full-fledged Israel, Israelites or covenant members. And then Paul's going to come in and have to address that problem. So it's not a problem of how much Torah should they keep. The problem is an, an, a problem of identity. Who are you and does God accept you as Gentiles or does God say, nope, not yet until you convert to Judaism and become Jews. Which we all know that once you become a Jew then the Torah can be kept by you. In fact from Paul's argument they're going to say Paul's going to say somebody ringing there. Paul's going to say to them if the argument genuinely is the Jewish people saying, you guys aren't Jews yet, what they're also really saying is, I'm going to have Laurie demonstrate, this is the Torah, okay? Because you're born Jewish or you converted to Judaism, it doesn't matter, just the problem is you're Jew, or the truth is, because you're a Jew, the Torah is yours. So, she's a Gentile, she can't have the Torah, and her problem is because she's not a Jew. So, if she will convert, she can have that. So, they're really subtly saying that the Torah is only for Jews. That's what they're saying. Um... And Paul's going to come in, and that's where he's going to not fight for you guys not keeping Torah. He's going to fight for your right to keep Torah. Isn't that the reverse of what the common argument is? Yeah. The common argument is Paul's fighting for the Gentile freedom to not to have to keep Torah. The Christian liberty outside of Torah keeping. But no, it's actually the reverse. Paul's fighting for the Gentiles' right to keep Torah as Gentiles. The only thing he's going to disagree with you guys is they don't have to convert, God is not the God of the Jews only. He's the God of the Gentiles too. They don't have to change their status in life to be full-fledged covenant members. In Messiah, they're full-fledged covenant members. Therefore, the covenants and provisions are theirs. The Torah is theirs. Now get along. That's what Paul's going to say. So, and, we're, and circumcision gets caught up in all that. That's where I, we're going to go with Galatians. Is that So we're going to label these for a second, all right? The first view of Paul fighting for Christian liberty against Torah is more or less labeled um, Reformation Paul. You can do web searches on those. Reformation Pauls. It's, it's kind of the Reformation view, or some people say the Lutheran view, because Luther was a champion of the Reformation. Um, more or less, that's their view. But we're not going to take that view. We're going to take what we call New Paul perspective, of sorts. Not to its extreme, because if you do a web search for New Paul perspective, you'll find that there's some problems with that view, too. But generally speaking, we're, try- we're going to let Paul speak... In the context of what was happening the the day versus putting back into Paul's view something that wasn't really, really there. In other words, the old Paul, if I can use old Paul, new Paul, and you guys know what I'm talking about. From the old Paul perspective, Paul views the Torah as bad. And therefore, the Judaizers trying to get the, Jew, the non-Jewish people to keep Torah is all wrong because everyone knows that the Torah is bad. It's just assumed that the Torah is bad. That's old Paul. That doesn't work because it doesn't line up with things that Paul has said about the Torah and himself later on in scriptures. Plus, it doesn't line up with what God said about the Torah. So we have to rework that view to make it fit. We have to change our view to fit what the Bible says. If the Bible says the Torah is good, then we should say the Torah is good. Therefore, we look at that view and we go, hmm, that's got some problems. And so we dig through our uh, history books and we try and figure out what is the real problem. We dig through the scriptures and we pray, Father, show us what the real problem is. And I believe that we're poised now better than ever to figure out what the real problems were. So, does that sound exciting? We're going to get a total... For some of us, that'll be a complete paradigm shift. For others, that you're somewhat familiar with, the, then it'll just be a verse-by-verse verse confirmation of what you already knew. So, any. I'll stop a little early to just open up for questions or comments so far. Question or comment. You know, I, just, I don't understand. There really, in Paul's time, there wasn't really a New Testament written or anything yet, right? Yeah, James Trim is fond of saying there are two things in Paul's day that the New Testament church didn't have a New Testament and a church. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean so so what else could so what's left to teach about the Torah? And the other thing is, I'm thinking, what did Jesus say? He said, you know, I did not come here to change the Torah, I came here to fulfill it, right? Yeah. Now so if, so Now you see you that, have, that as a good thing. Yeah. Okay, that's real nice. And that's that's, nice, that's great. That verse becomes a, a watershed issue if Jesus came to fulfill the Torah. What does it mean he fulfilled? The modern prevailing theology of the day teaches fulfillment means that it's been filled up and it's been done away with. Fulfill is, is equated to done away with somehow. I don't know how we get that out of there, but. And, and to be honest with you, to come full circle, in all fairness, people who are sincerely saved. Are our brothers and sisters in Messiah? Whether to keep Torah or not. Because Torah is not a self-ific issue in that sense. I'm using air quotes because I don't like using that cut and dry analogy. Because God doesn't use it that way. But if we could use Greek mentality and just say it's either Torah obedience or salvation, then we would say it's salvation, faith in Messiah. So in reality, they are saved. But what what ends up happening is that we fundamentally, as a Christian community, we fundamentally misunderstand the purposes of Torah once we come to Messiah. We don't understand how the Torah functions in our lives after we come to faith the Torah leads us to Messiah and then we decide that once we've reached Messiah that the Torah is jettisoned in favor of some new walk of grace we fail to understand how the Torah comes along and becomes our uh, uh, blue, blueprint for holiness we, we seem to think that we're making it up on our own and in well meaning we, we are well meaning, we have good intentions um, We seem to, and plus we, tur- we do in about face. we look at the current Judaism's and we see that there's a legalism there whether you call it misuse of the Torah or misuse of your identity, it's a legalistic point of view. But it's not the legalism that we have described. It's, it gets a little, little more complex. Because I'll tell you truthfully, the Judaisms of Paul's day did not think that the Torah was a simplistic ladder to heaven. They didn't think, hey, if we just keep XYZ parts of the Torah, we're in. That's not the way they looked at Torah. They looked at it more or less the same way. In fact, they described their covenant position the same way that Christians described their covenant position. Yet today's Christians don't give the, the early Judaisms that benefit. They describe them as if they were just stone-cold legalists. What? You guys think that keep the Torah will save you? Are you daft? That's the way we read them in our commentaries. But that's not the way they thought. In fact, more or less, that's not the way they think today. So I'm trying to think, who are they describing when I read their commentaries on the Judaism stuff? They could keep the Torah and be saved. And and not only we have to keep to be saved, let's, let's give to the Gentiles to keep to be saved or whatever. Who, who who are they talking about? There's nobody that in history that's that way, at least on a larger level. On smaller pocket levels, you know, you always have people that, over in this corner who believe whatever they want to believe. Yeah, you have that. But generally speaking, we can exonerate Judaism of the first century by saying that they did not hold to a simplistic view of, if I keep the Torah, I'll be saved. It just, it it's It defies logic, and I'll explain why in the weeks to come. Keeping the Torah to be saved? That's what we're going to discover as we talk about Galatians. Because Paul, you're right, in answer to your question without giving the answer away, Paul talks about circumcision in Galatians. And I'll give you a hint. Acts 15 and Galatians are about five years off from each other, five to ten years difference. And we're going to go with the view that Galatians was written before Acts 15. I'll tell you why later. Um, but even if Galatians, Acts was written before Galatians, they seem to be talking about the same issue. So what is circumcision? That's why we're talking about it. Because you're right. They say unless you're circumcised, you cannot be saved. I'm thinking, hmm, I guess that leaves out all the females, right? Unless circumcision is speaking of something else. That's what we're going to look at in weeks to come. So, my last few moments. Is he done? What's up, what's up? 805? Yeah. Yours starts at 10? Yeah, let me hand. You guys don't need to go. Let me hand out this. um... When we come back next week, let's talk about this commentary. Just take one and pass it down. There should be enough there. And you're right, as soon as you get a commentary, you're out of here. You're dismissed. Yes. That concludes our show for today. It is my desire that this continuing series of teachings will assist the average non-Jewish believer or new Messianic Jewish believer in his desire to become a more mature child of God. And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all His ways, to love Him,